Morning, church. Morning. It's good to be with you again. It's been a little while. My name's Matt Howe. I'm one of the pastors here at Anderson Hills. For any of you that may not know me, I'd love the opportunity to meet with you after the service today. Uh, we're in week three of our series on Elijah, um, relying on God. So when we were kind of meeting to talk about this series, one of the constant themes that just kept coming up as we were talking through the different weeks is, is this whole idea, this whole concept of, of relying on God, of fully just trusting in Him. And uh, so hopefully we've been doing a good job at kind of relaying that message to you that, that above all else, above anything else we say here on Sunday morning, we just want you to know in this series that you can count on God, that He's there for you, uh, that you can rely on Him. Uh, if you were here two weeks ago, you got us, I got to hear us talk about Elijah and his announcement to King Ahab that Basically, there was going to be no water, no rain, no dew, no nothing in the land until he gave the word, um, which ended up being a period of about three and a half years. Uh, but he just said, look, there's going to be a drought because our people, God's people are spiritually in a drought. And so we're going to hold rain from them until they turn to him. And uh, for provision for Elijah, God sent him uh, out and told him that basically he would be fed by the ravens, that the ravens would bring him both bread and meat uh, for a period of, of several days. And then he was sent later to, to a widow in the town of Zarephath, uh, who also had what she thought was only enough flour and oil to last a few more days, and yet somehow the provision that God made lasted for, for several weeks. And then last week, if you were here with us, you got to hear about how Elijah uh, relied on God through a, a little bit of a fire test on top of the mountain, uh, where the prophets of Baal came against uh, Elijah, and the, the, the one who could basically make fire out of a wet sacrifice laying on a wet altar, right, would prove uh, that his God, right, was the one true God. And so Elijah went up there. By, by the way, any of you uh, able to make fire with just a couple of sticks? Has anybody ever actually tried that? Max, I knew somehow as an Eagle Scout that you had probably made fire with a couple of sticks. So we actually brought a couple of sticks here today for you to show us. Uh, just kidding. You got nervous there for a second, didn't you? Didn't you? But, but it was a fire-making contest, right? And we know that the prophets of Baal, they continued their charades all day long, all morning long, all afternoon long, into the evening, and that nothing happened, nothing took place. And so then it was Elijah's turn. And those of you that were here last week, you got to hear about how Elijah repaired the altar of the Lord first, which had been torn down. He arranged the wood and arranged for the appropriate sacrifice, and then saturated them both with water, stepped back, and just watched as God did what only God can do. And so hopefully these last two weeks, you've been learn, re relying on God, learning that concept that you can, you can trust him, that you can rely on him. And so on the heels uh, of these dramatic events, the prophet Elijah takes the first steps in announcing to King Ahab that the famine was in fact going to come to an end. Obviously, Ahab had been humiliated by what had happened on the mountain with the whole fire lighting competition. But in spite of Ahab's obvious humiliation, Elijah tells the king to begin to celebrate because the end of the drought is near. And so this is where we pick up our story in 1 Kings uh, chapter 18, verses 41 through 46. God's word says, And Elijah said to Ahab, Go and eat and drink, for there is the sound of heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah 
climbed to the top of Mount Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. Now, I was wondering in the first service as I was listening to uh, Pastor Mark Putman preach, just how big of a climb that was. So I looked it up, and supposedly Mount Carmel is about 1,724 feet in elevation, okay? So it's a decent little day's climb, right? And he gets up there, and he, he bows to the ground, and he puts his face between his knees, and, and he says, go and look toward the sea. That's what he tells his servant. Go and look towards the sea. And so the servant went up and looked, and he came back, and he said, there's nothing there. And so Elijah tells him, well, go back. Go back and look again. And the Bible tells us that seven times Elijah told his servant to go back. And seven, six times the servant reports nothing. But on the seventh time, the servant returns and he says, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. You got to wonder, like, is that as small as my hand or as small as like Shaquille O'Neal's hand? You know what I'm saying? Because they're He's about twice as much. Small, right? Small cloud. I mean, you can imagine how small this was. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab then to hitch up his chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Well, meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind began to rise. A heavy rain started falling and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. So what do we learn from this passage? It's a small snippet of Kings here, chapter 18. What do we learn? Well, the text tells us that Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. The text doesn't exactly give us any further detail as to what Elijah was doing when he crouched down, but, but James does. And so we read in James chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, where James says, Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain. It did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And then in verse 18, it tells us, again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. So what was Elijah doing here in chapter 18? He was praying. Elijah was praying. And we learn from Elijah that there are certain approaches, certain attitudes that make our prayers more effective. For our prayers to be more effective, we must be persistent. Go and look toward the sea he told his servant. And the servant went up and looked. Well, there is nothing, he said. So Elijah told him seven times, go back, go back, go back. Second, we must pray humble prayers. Elijah, the Bible tells us, bent down to the ground, put his face between his knees and prayed wholeheartedly to God. And also, we learn that effective prayers are expectant prayers. The seventh time that the servant came back to report, he said, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. And at that point, Elijah told his servant, go and tell Ahab to hitch up his chariot and to ride off towards Jezreel before the rain becomes so great that the land becomes mud and Ahab's chariot gets stuck. 
Seven times Elijah prays. And off in the distance, he sees a cloud the size of a man's hand. And by faith, Elijah believes that a storm is coming. And sure enough, it is. Miraculous provision, miraculous protection, miraculous God. And so this morning, I'd like to break down each of the three before mentioned approaches and attitudes that make our prayers effective. And I'd like to do so using the 18th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. First and foremost, we learn through the story of Elijah that effective prayers are persistent prayers. Well, in the first eight verses of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, Jesus tells us a parable. It is known as the parable of the persistent widow. It says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally the judge said to himself, even though I don't fear God, even though I don't care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And now will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? For those who cry out to him day and night, will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and he will see that they get it quickly. So Jesus is like, look, if this judge who doesn't fear God and really couldn't care less what people think of him, if he will answer this woman's persistent plea, then how much more will a loving God bring justice to those who cry out to him day and night. To persist in prayer and not give up does not necessarily mean that we spend 24 hours a day on our knees. It doesn't necessarily mean endless repetition or painfully long prayer sessions. Constant prayer means that we are keeping our request continually before God as we live for him day and night by day, by day, believing that he will answer. Why? Simply because he loves us. Don't give up. Maybe you've been praying for something for, for months. Maybe you've been praying for something for years. God's word for you this morning is don't give up. God may answer your prayer. Yes, God may answer your prayer. No, God may say not right now. But however he answers, he has your best interest at heart. Maybe God's wanting to teach you something. He's wanting you, there's something that you need to learn. God may be using your hardship or trial to teach someone else something. To bring about good in someone else's life. Imagine what it would do for someone to, to watch you persistently pray over and over and over again for several months or years only to have your prayer finally answered. Imagine what that would do for another person's faith. Persistence also benefits us. When we pray persistently, we grow in our character. 
We grow in faith. We grow in our hope and knowledge of Christ. Elijah kept sending his servant back over and over and over again. Elijah kept praying until he got a definitive answer. So what about you? I mean, I have to think that servant probably thought Elijah was crazy, right? Like, really? Again? Again? There's nothing, Elijah. And yet Elijah believed, and he remained persistent. The second thing that make, uh, makes our prayers effective is when they are humble prayers. I find it interesting that in Luke 18, the story that immediately follows the parable of the persistent window is another parable. This time it's the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Jesus says, beginning in verse 9, he says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector, Jesus said, stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but rather he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus tells the story of two men. The first man is a Pharisee. This man did not go to the temple to pray to God. Really, he went to announce to all who were within earshot how good he was. And the second man was a tax collector. The tax collector went, recognizing his sin and begging God for mercy. Humility. Something to be said for humility in every area of our lives. I mean, self-righteousness, that's dangerous. That's risky. In fact, the Bible says that pride comes before a fall. Pride causes us to despise others. Pride prevents us from learning anything from God. And so in life, we should always have a, a God first, others second mentality. And then we fall in line after that. And our prayer life is no different. Ultimately, we should want that which God wants. I mean, after all, doesn't the Bible tell us that the more our prayers align with his will, the more our prayers get answered? In James chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, James writes, he says, You do not have because you do not ask God, and when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. See, it's about aligning our will with his will. Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel, bent down to the ground, put his face between his knees, and began to pray. I mean, Elijah was probably feeling a little pressure in that situation. He had kind of stuck his neck out, put his life on the line a little bit, because he had said to Ahab, look, it's getting ready to end. Go, celebrate. But through it all, Elijah remained humble, and he also remained expectant. And that's the third thing that makes 
our prayer is effective this morning. Our, our prayers are effective when they are expectant prayers. On the heels of, of the two parables that Jesus tells in Luke 18, the one of the persistent widow and the other of the Pharisee and the tax collector, we read these words in 15, verses 15 through 17. Jesus says, people were all, or Luke says, people were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. And when the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus, he called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will not enter it. Now, while Jesus may not be talking here specifically about prayer, what he is saying, I do think, can be applied applied to all areas of our life. Jesus says, truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. What is a child's greatest strength? A child's greatest strength is his or her faith. Their faith, simple faith. A couple of weeks ago, uh, my family constructed a fairy house to place on our front porch. Anybody have one of these? This was a new concept to me. I didn't even know this was a thing. But apparently there's this thing called a fairy house that you build and put on your front porch and fairies come by to visit, right? And it's been so much fun watching Nora, our five-year-old, react to this fairy house on our front porch, right? Like she wants to go outside and check on the fairy house, see if the fairies have come by to visit, right? And there's been notes left by the fairies, right? In this fairy house. And it's been awesome to watch, right? Faith of a child, an incredible thing. Children can accept and embrace things that you and I just can't. And Jesus isn't saying here, hey, be naive or, or hey, don't ever ask questions, right? What I believe he is saying here is that in order to live kingdom-focused, Christ-centered lives, we are going to have to hop and skip and dance into a kingdom way of thinking, a kingdom way of living. We have to accept and embrace things that we are never going to fully understand. We're going to have to keep ourselves pure and unstained and unblemished from the world. And in regards to our prayer life, we are going to have to pray expectantly. We need to pray fully expecting God to show up and show out. There is a story that is told in, in a movie called Facing the Giants. Anybody ever seen that movie? done several years ago, kind of a Christian movie. And the story that's told goes like this. There were two farmers who desperately needed rain, and both of them prayed for rain. But only one of these two farmers went out and prepared his fields to receive it. Which one do you think trusted God to send the rain? The answer is the one who prepared his fields for it. And I love this story of of two farmers. It reminds me that faith is an action word and that waiting is a verb. In other words, trusting God doesn't mean I sit around and just wait for something to magically happen. It means I get busy about the task at hand, that I prepare my field, whatever that might be, for God to deliver. You may not be a farmer. You may not have a literal field to prepare. Your field might be a a struggle with finances, a sour marriage, a health challenge, a new job, or any number of other things. 
regardless of whatever it is, my question for you today is where or what in your life are you needing to do to begin to prepare your field for rain? Elijah believed that God was going to send rain. Elijah believed that God was going to show up. And so the Bible tells us that seven times he sent his servant back. And on the seventh time, he got a cloud. A cloud the size of a man's hand. Think about that. Wow. No thunder, no lightning in the distance, no impressive squall line of clouds, just a tiny cloud the size of a man's hand. But you know what? That was enough. That was enough for Elijah because Elijah was expectant. He trusted that God was going to show up and do something that only God could do. So what does all this mean for us this morning? It means that we need to come boldly before the throne of God. Come boldly before the throne of grace. Expecting God to answer our cries. Persevere. Pray humbly. Pray expectantly. And also pray specifically. I mean, if you're here this morning and you need healing, then pray for healing. If you're here and and you need some hope in your life, then pray for hope. If you're here and you're lacking companionship, then pray for companionship. If you're here and you desperately need work, pray for a job. Just pray. Nothing is too big. Nothing is too small for God. Bring your request to him. Be perseverant, be humble, and be expectant because God's going to show up and God's going to do something that only God can do. I'm going to try something a little different this morning. I'm going to have us all stand. I'm just going to have us kind of scoot together a little bit in the rows that we're standing in. And, um, you know, if you're not comfortable doing the whole arm on the shoulder kind of thing or linking the arms or holding hands or anything like that, just, just be in your mind praying for the people next to you. You may know them by name. You may not know them by name. Um, but just, we're just going to say a prayer together, okay, today. Let's do it right now. God, we just thank you that you are a God who answers prayers. You are. That's who you are. And so we trust who you are this morning. And we pray, God, for the people to our left and the people to our right. God, we know that there are hurts, that there are heartaches, that there are frustrations, that there are, are difficult times maybe in their life, God, or have been, or maybe, maybe are soon to be. God, that there have been diagnoses made, God, uh, that some of them are struggling financially, that some of them are just struggling emotionally just to, just to function day in and day out, God. Maybe they're feeling a little low. God, there are people in this room who are lonely. God, there are people who have kind of reached the end of their rope and they're feeling a little hopeless today. God, we just pray that you would lift up the body of Christ today. God, that you would encourage that man or that woman who stands at our left, who stands at our right. God, that you would let them know how special they are. That you would let them know how much you love them you would let them know that they're forgiven, that God, nothing they could ever do or ever have done is beyond your forgiveness and your mercy and your grace. God, help them not to feel any more shame or any more guilt 
God, just rid them of that this morning. Even for the thing that they just did last night, God, just rid them of that shame and guilt right now. God, just remind them of who you are. Remind them of who they are in you. God, clothe them with humility. God, may we be persistent in our prayers to you, in our crying out to you. God, may we be humble in recognizing our own humanity and our own flesh. And God, most importantly, may we be expectant. God, may we pray in such a way that says to you, God, we totally trust and completely believe that you're going to show up and do something miraculous in our lives. So God, do that now in the lives of the people here. Show up and do something that only you can. According to your will, in the blessed name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and all God's people said, amen.